Hello, and welcome to Scarlet Tavern. Grab a drink, take a seat, and let's begin. Get ready for our episode on Lizzie Borden, the woman who gave new meaning to family hatchtivities. It's murder, mystery, and humor plenty in this historical whodunit, so fasten your seatbelts and let's chop into the story. This is Scarlet Tavern. All right, so here we are back after some uh, some gruesome stuff mm. for some more gruesome stuff. Um, if you guys yeah. haven't heard of Lizzie Borden, uh, you're in for a nice little treat here. Many ways, this was the uh, this was the OJ trial of its time. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, then I, I think we're gonna make this a two-parter. I think. Yeah, this that whole clusterfuck of a trial. Yeah, this will be a two-parter. First part will be about all the events that happened. Second part, we will delve into the trial, give you our opinions as law enforcement officers, um, what went wrong, what we would have done differently, things like that. As always, um, so. Uh, I will not be doing this. This will be Aaron covering this. Um, so, without further ado, let's get into it. All right, all right. So, uh, Lizzie Andrew Borden was an American woman who was tried and acquitted of the August 4th, 1892 axe murders of her father and stepmother, in Fall River, Massachusetts. No one else was charged in the murders, and despite ostracism from other residents, Borden spent the remainder of her life in Fall River. She died of pneumonia at age 66, just days before the death of her older sister, Emma. The Borden murders and trial received widespread publicity throughout the United States, and along with Borden herself, they remain a topic in American popular culture to the present day. They have been depicted in numerous films, theatrical productions, literary works, and folk rhymes, and are still very well known in the Fall River area. Lizzie Andrew Borden was born July 19, 1860, in Fall River, Massachusetts, to Sarah Anthony Borden, and Andrew Jackson Borden. Her father, who was of English and Welsh descent, grew up in very modest surroundings and struggled financially as a young man, despite being the descendant of a wealthy and influential local resident. Drew will start at Andrew eventually prosper. Okay. So Andrew eventually prospered in the manufacture and sale of furniture and caskets then became a successful property developer. He was the director of several textile mills and owned considerable commercial property. He was also president of the Union Savings Bank and a director of the Durfee Safe Deposit and Trust Company. At his death, 
his estate was valued at three hundred thousand or the equivalent of nine million six hundred thirty thousand in twenty twenty. He was rich, 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 rich. Yeah, and we're gonna see here in a minute how all of that kind of plays into Lizzie's mindset, possibly, maybe. So, despite his wealth, Andrew was known for his frugality. For instance, the Borden residence lacked indoor plumbing, even though at the time it was common accommodation for the wealthy. The house stood in an affluent area, but the wealthiest resident of Fall River, including Andrew's cousins, generally lived in the more fashionable neighborhood, the Hill, which was farther from the industrial areas of the city. Lizzie and her older sister Emma, Lenora Borden, had a relatively religious upbringing and attended the Central Congregational Church. As a young woman, Lizzie was very involved in church activities, including teaching Sunday school to children of recent immigrants to the United States. She was involved in religious, religious organizations such as the Christian Endeavor Society, for which she served as secretary treasurer, and contemporary social movements such as the Women's Christian Temperance Union. She was also a member of the Ladies Fruit and Flower Mission. <clears throat> Excuse me. Three years after the death of Lizzie's mother, Andrew married Abby Durfee Gray. Lizzie later stated that she called her stepmother Mrs. Borden and demurred on whether they had a cordial relationship. She believed that Abby had married her father for his wealth. Bridget Sullivan, whom they called Maggie, was the Borden's 25-year-old live-in maid, and she had immigrated to the U.S. from Ireland. Um, testified that Lizzie and Emma rarely ate meals with their parents. In May 1982, or sorry, 1892, Andrew killed multiple pigeons in his barn with a hatchet, believing they were attracting local children to hunt them. Lizzie had recently built a roost for the pigeons, and it has been commonly recounted that she was upset over his killing of them, though the veracity of this has been disputed. Um, and it should be noted that that particular account was one minute it was Lizzie saying this and then no Lizzie didn't say this so in that aspect I'm not sure how valid it is but some say that that kind of played into um, the further mindset of um, uh, ill ill will that she had towards her father. A family argument in July of 1892 prompted both sisters to take extended vacations mm -hmm. in New Bedford after returning to Fall River a week before the murders. Lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming house for four days before returning to the residence. So Lizzie goes, they have this argument, her, her, her sister, and her, her father have this argument. Some speculate that it's over uh, money. Some speculate that it's over the fact that the father is now giving property and other financial gifts to the uh, 
the step stepmother and her family and as a real result of this argument they take a quote-unquote vacation um, what was significant about the return was supposedly they were this happy family from all accounts that the outside would want want to say but upon the return they spend four days in their original house that they grew up in and not where they were currently residing doesn't sound too happy to me <clears throat> no no definitely not um but i mean in the the father was known to be a bit of an ass um he was not liked within the the community at all even though his he was respected so it was kind of a uh, an odd balance, I guess you could say. Uh, he was uh, very business savvy. Um, uh, was by no means not an intelligent man, you know. So kind of like uh, old man Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, had had pretty good business savvy. Was respected in that aspect, but was considered, I guess, a miser. Uh, because of his frugality um, and was pretty much out to do whatever he could do to make a buck. Uh, and we'll see that here in a second. Um, tensions had been growing within the Borden family in the months before the murders, especially over Andrew's gifts of real estate to various branches of the Abbey's family. After their stepmother's sister received a house, the sisters demanded and received a rental property which ended up being the home that they had lived in until their mother died. Um, they purchased this property from their father for a dollar. A few weeks before the murders, they sold the property back to their father for $5,000, which was the equivalent to $163,000 in 2022. <clears throat> so kind of a um, fuck you, dad, kind of a thing, you know. Um, we demand the property, but oh, here. By the way, you can have you can have the property back for a price, kind of thing. I now, could admit. Go ahead. Um, I could imagine that probably ruffled uh, old man Borden's feathers that he had to. I I mean five thousand, like you said, that's about that's that's a that's a cool chunk of change. Even today, even if we're just going to, you know, even today's terms. So that's I, I could imagine this is just rat. They're just ratcheting up this tension. This this is getting really bad. Oh yeah, with, without a doubt. And um, supposedly that had a ripple effect into other parts of the family. And um, brings in, I believe it was the uncle, I think. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, we'll see her in a second. It's John, the John mom's Morris. uncle or the mom's yeah, brother. Mom's brother. <clears throat> um, he comes in to visit and stay with the family for a few days to discuss business matters with Andrew. 
Now, the, the, um, some, the belief is that those business ventures, one of which was the property deals, um, the, the rental of, you know, the selling the house to the daughters for a dollar, them buying it back, him giving away gifts and, you know, property and all that kind of stuff to other family members. Um, the concern and fear was that he was basically uh, giving away and squandering away the estate to people other than Lizzie and Emma. Um, now, we don't really touch on it a whole lot here in this, but the belief was, and this may play a part in it later in the actual killings themselves, but some feel that John Morse and Lizzie Borden had a thing. Um, it was believed that she had a strong affection for him and neighbors recalled that it was an uncanny affection in regards to the relationship, you know, the, the familial relationship. Um, I mean, I mean, never say never, but I mean... Right, right. Never but say the same, never. But at the same time, given how... <laughs> as we're going to touch on this, Aaron, it, given the sensational nature of the murders and the trial, I mean, it's always funny how these things happen. Somebody gets in trouble, next thing you know, oh, well, I remember this. I'm like, wow, you all, you're, wow, that, your memories are really great. Right, right. And I think there was some semblance of that inappropriate affection towards him because several um, researchers and, and authors and writers throughout um, the years made it a point to say that the father was very careful not to have anything like that um, spread within the community so maybe you know he sensed it he saw it I don't know but in, in what I was gathering in doing all this reading and research was that he was very concerned about this reputation you know so God forbid that this spread that oh my daughter's has a thing for her uncle you know so they have this this discussion um and they kind of don't really go into detail as to uh, any more than it being about business ventures now several days before the murders the entire house ends up violently ill. Some speculated poison um, because of the uh, reputation that the father had. 
and uh, um, past uh, bad business deals. Uh, it was rumored that there were several clients of Lizzie's, no less, that were not happy with how she handled some business ventures. Um, she it should be noted that these murders were not the first time that Lizzie encountered trouble with the law. Um, that there had been instances where jewelry and things like that had been taken from the stepmother and it was found out that Lizzie had stolen the jewelry for money supposedly to get back at her father. Um, so some think that you know the, the belief was that oh the, the family was possibly poisoned as a result of this. Well uh, and keep in mind too that Lizzie Borden was also for work she was a treasurer uh, for right. quite a few businesses and families because of her money. <clears throat> right. Right. They, they, especially back then in the 1800s, it was hard to find a trustworthy treasurer because a lot of these businesses had a lot of money and people were stealing it. They were embezzling and things like that. So they would cater to people like Lizzie who were young. Uh, she wasn't attractive by any means. People call, actually called her homely was, was their word. She was not really that beautiful because she never married. Um, and, but they, because she was so wealthy, they figured, oh, she doesn't need money. She's not going to try and steal money from us. So we'll make her a treasurer. Mm, right. Uh, Aaron, quick question. Yes. Yeah. Um, when you said that the family had been, the household had been ill, is that including Lizzie? That's everybody. Everybody. Okay. Everybody, everybody in the house got ill and that's. That was why they suspected poisoning for the entire family, because the fact that it included Lizzie in that, the speculation was, well, it, was it some quote-unquote clients that Lizzie had dealt with in her treasury dealings, and because she was involved in some other business ventures alongside her father, or was it uh, as a means to get back at her father for some bad business deals or questionable business deals. Um, it was never determined. They did not find any poison. It was suspected that it was just bad mutton that had been left out. Which was very common back then. Very common. Very common. So, All right. I, I just, I, I would have been very suspicious if Lizzie was not, the, was not sick. But if she's sick, then yeah, it's probably a pretty... Right, right. Well, and and the thing too is, we got to remember this is the 1800s, almost almost the 1900s. Abby would have been cooking. She is right. the she is right. the female in the house. She guarantee you does not work. She doesn't need to. Number one. Number two. Women really didn't work back then. It was usually if they if they were if they were married they did not work, um, so it, it very much would depend on your class status. Well, in Abby's with, case, yeah. definitely not. She would but, be 
yeah, so, immigrant women, yes, they would be working. So she's she she would have been the stay at home mom. She would have been the housewife. She would have been the one to cooking. So if it was poison, that's who you would look at. And or for me, for for my my thought would be okay. She's trying to poison John to kill him off to get all of his money and property. Right. It right. could that 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 would be, but I mean, what would be the point? He's already getting the property. Her family's getting the property. yeah, but I mean, but with the with the ex brother in law coming in and trying to fight everything. And trying to, I mean, at that point, it's, you, you are looking at the immediate family being his daughters versus the extended family being his new wife's family. they the daughters get priority in courts of law. True, unless he has a specific will, a will that says my daughters get nothing. And given the fact how this trend that we're seeing, that I'm seeing of the the new extended family is getting preferential treatment over his own flesh and blood, I would highly doubt that. I highly, I'd be, it wouldn't surprise me. What I'm saying is that if Lizzie and Emma got the the shaft, but if, but here here's the thing: is if Abby is. Abby's seeing the ex-brother-in-law come in, the uncle of her of her stepkids coming in fighting for the kids to get all of these properties, she's going to start to get worried. What if what if John has a change of mind and I now can't get all of this stuff, so he needs to go so I have full control because I mean, his will does grant me access if he dies but if he's still alive and changes his mind and changes his will then i no longer have anything so i'm going to kill him and poison him before he can change the will and uh, if the daughters die too then so be it i mean that's definitely could be a motive i just i i don't see i don't see the brother-in-law or the ex-brother-in-law Featuring there, especially if the speculation was that he was trying to do his best to keep his daughters and stuff away for fear of scandal. I doubt he'd have any. I wouldn't be surprised if he just kind of treated um, treated John as like, oh look, yeah, there's John. I guess I gotta, you know, do my uh, good Christian, good um, duty to. You know, be nice to the guy because he was my former brother. He was my brother-in-law. He is, you know, he may not legally speaking be still a, me- a family member, but I do have a, a connection to him via my children and all the stuff. But if everything that I'm hearing about um, the senior, uh, senior board is true, then I don't think that he's going to give two shits about it. I don't think that. I think Andrew is going to tell him to go pound sand about whatever this business deal is, and he's going to obviously tolerate his daughters so as long as they to- more or less toe the line. I mean, he's literally giving his extended family, you know, properties and nice places, and he literally just 
Oh, you want to run here? It's a rental property. That's my childhood home. You're welcome. That's that's literally how I imagine this 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 conversation more or less going down. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but th right. this is Andrew Borden really strikes me as a guy. He just does not give a shit about his first family. They were like the starter right. family. They were the right. ones who were there from the beginning. They served their purpose. Now they're just you're an inconvenience to me. This is the this is the feeling I'm getting from there. So I don't. Abby, you know, his second wife Abby really to me has no motivation to poison Andrew in the hopes of make sure she secures the fortune. I feel like that she already had that. That was done. She got that. You know, Andrew probably, and of course she's probably she wasn't intending them both get chopped up by a hatchet. That's for sure. Yeah, well, there's that. Well, and and what's interesting is that the the marriage to Abby was one of necessity, not of love. Hmm. Um, when the, um, the the mother died, uh, Andrew basically meets Abby in in the streets. She is very low class. Um, the rumor was she was a prostitute, but that was never yeah, there, some, confirmed. Some speculated she was a prostitute. Some speculated that she was a street merchant. Um, I guess being a prostitute could qualify as a street merchant, I guess. <laughs> She's selling yeah. goods. Yeah, selling goods or bads, yeah. either or. But yeah. um, Andrew felt that he needed to have a woman figure in the house to help raise the two girls. How old were Lizzie and Emma when this, when their mother died, and when he, when he married Abby? Like eight or something like that I believe okay though that's now that's a very interesting thing because I mean obviously they're old enough to retain <laughs> memories of their mother but right. they're right. really formative years like the the ones that really count would have been with Abby so I'm very right. it's a little surprising they didn't have they didn't form some kind of like well, affection for each other they never did because they're especially with Lizzie not so much Emma, because she was more of the quiet, reserved type. Um, Lizzie was adamant that the only reason Abby was in a part of the family was for her dad's money. Period. It had nothing to do with taking care of us as the, the kids and, and needing a mother figure. You just agreed to this because you saw Daddy Warbucks coming along with a big pocketbook and um hmm. you know you and and a, yeah and and like an upscale house in, in a section of town that you would not have access to because of your lower stature and things of that nature so there was a lot of animosity um between abby and Lizzie. Oh, if only this had happened a few, about 20 years later, as, as they could have been around with the birth of Freud and could have actually fixed all this problem. 
Because I'm just right. I all I'm thinking is like, God, a couple therapy sessions we might have actually not not be here. Right, right. I've right. I've been I've been just looking it up because it's been obviously uh, back in that time Morse was a big name, um, but John V. Morse is not related to Samuel Morse, um, the inventor of Morse code. Um, I I looked and there's no familial connection, but Morse can't be too common of a name. Um, I, yeah, I mean it, you're right. It is and, probably a, and, and Sam Samuel Morse invented Morse code. I believe it was 1825. It was invented. Um, but yeah, but I looked and John V. Morse is not related to him at all. Uh, and, uh, apparently there is a whole Morse society really? for John V. Morse. Like they have, they have a website and it's all of his relatives. Now they have a whole website and they do genealogy and all of that. So, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it later, but being the devil's advocate, which I'm actually going to be throughout this whole thing, um, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here because we are getting ready to get into the murders, but there are some that believe that it was not Lizzie Borden, Yeah, that it was John V. Morse, right? Because of the holes in his story. And also because of the fact that Morse was a butcher by trade. And the way that they were killed. And he always traveled with a cleaver. Yeah. So just keep and, that keep that in mind as yeah. we get into yeah, as we get into the, the murder side. But right. that's why I'm and I'm gonna be playing devil's advocate throughout this and from my point of view th- saying okay. that Lizzie may not have done it. I like it. I like it. Also, Ben, you had mentioned something about the will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should be noted that no will was ever recovered. Interesting. You got to remember, yeah. this is a frugal man. He pro- he would have yeah. probably wanted to die with his money. Well, so, it's not a because... matter, but he's also a businessman. Yeah, he's, but he's, he's no, 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 business. You don't get to that type of biz- that level of business without preparing contingencies and everything it's well that's but that's everything but if you think about it that's what he was doing he was giving properties to family he was talking to the uncle about other properties and other business dealings he may have been setting stuff up and saying okay well because not everybody had written wills back then. Some of it was verbal contracts. And just so yeah. you know, just so everybody knows, still to this day, a verbal contract is legal and binding. To this day. If if I were to go on record and say, uh, if something happens to me, Ben gets the entirety of the business and blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying that. But... Uh, it would be, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that. So that's binding. Um, but it would be verbally binding in a court of law. There, there is a, such a thing. If, even if I was kidding and joking around about that, but Ben believed it to be true, 
it's still legally binding. And yeah, so uh, almost uh, Thomas Edison almost got in trouble with yeah. Tesla because he he made a bet like ten thousand dollars. I bet you ten thousand dollars you can't or twenty thousand. Bet you can't do this. Tesla did it. He did, yeah, he, did, he made something, and Tesla's like. 20 grand, please. It was when they were. It was when they were messing with electricity. Still, yeah. And when Tesla was working for Edison, and Tesla's like, "I'll take my 20 grand, please." Yeah. And he's like, I, "I, I didn't mean that. It was a joke." He's like, "I wasn't joking." Yeah. Give so, me 20 grand. so keep keep that in mind. So, especially back in the 1800s, everything was like. Uh, spit in your hand and shake kind of deals a lot right. back then. Not verbal contracts. So I, I would very much. I wonder if someone talked to Andrew Borden's lawyer, like his business lawyer. I'd be very interested about the personal attorney of, of Andrew Borden at this point. Right. I think there's. I, I, exactly. I would very, very much. If I'm a, if I'm an investigator. And as obviously we're going to talk about, we're about to get into the actual, the me- the mechanics of the murder and everything that happened at the, cr- the the discovery of the crime. But in terms of investigating, I'd be talking to Andrew. Uh, he had a will. Ha! He did have a will. I found I found it. Did you? Uh, Andrew Jackson Borden, the father of Lizzie Borden, had a will. Andrew Borden was a wealthy businessman, owned significant property at the time of his death. He was brutally murdered, blah, 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 blah. Uh, his will was dated January 31st, 1891. So, a little over a year before he was murdered. Um, it was admitted to probate after his death. In his will, Andrew left most of his estate to his second wife, Abby Durfee Gray Borden, and his two daughters from his first marriage, Emma Lenore Borden and Lizzie Andrew Borden. Um... The will also mentioned various bequests to relatives and friends. Uh, See if I can find exactly. Uh, So, as of September 2021, the exact contents of his will were not publicly available. Um, Yeah, so it looks like they're not publicly available. However, I will, for the sake of the podcast, I will attempt to dig into it further. That was just me running a quick That's search. Cool. That was me just running a quick search, but I will try and dig into it further and see if we can, maybe we can get our lawyer to find it. I would because it's uh, Because it's a legal I'm, document. Yeah. So I, maybe I, we can I, get I, him yeah. to find it. I think that will is going to explode. It's well, not going to give all the answers, but it's going to, it might it might give. Well, some... may, you're right. It may shed some light on it because the large speculation was, and this is for those that are proponents of Lizzie being the murderer, that she was in fear of Daddy giving away all of their um, all their money. St- all their property and money and inheritance and all that to stepmommy. And when it was all said and done, they weren't going to have anything. Even though um, Andrew was older, he was late 70s, I think 78-ish. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, younger than that. He still had some years 
left in him. So he, so, he wasn't a he wasn't an infirm man. We're not talking an Anna Nicole situation where he, she's marrying some frail old guy. He, no, he's he like, was yeah, she no, was only no. six years younger than him. Oh and really? He, yeah. And um, Andrew was very fit for his age. He took um, daily walks. He was um, seventy years old when he was killed. Seventy. Okay. Um, but so, yeah, so she was only six years. The new wife was only six years younger. She's sixty four. Okay. He's seven. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. That's what I looked up to when I when I heard, oh, she married. She probably married him for money because that's what you think a young, right? Yeah, gold digger. And yeah, gold but situation. but no, she she was older. Right. So the, they were they were digger, they were know. probably in their fifties or sixties when they met. As we go through this, I find myself learning a lot about um, this. Just, a lot of... just for future reference, when we get to get to it, I did find Lizzie Borden's will and testament. Hey. Yeah, nice. I found okay. that. So, and that is her verbatim doc. So, and I do know in regards to that that she did a lot for her dad's grave site and memorial and stuff like that so yeah so when when we get to that i will i will read out her will and testament so we know where everything went because she did have a lot of money even after the killings and everything she had a fuck ton of money oh yeah i mean the fact that just that just a hint she in 1927 when she died, she donated $30,000 to an animal rescue. Oh, wow. So, just keep that in mind. That was an animal rescue, not even what she gave to her family. Thirty grand in 1927. So, what would that be equivalent to? Uh, let's see. How much was it? Thirty grand. Let's see. It would be adjusting for inflation. Uh, $456,200 in 2021. Wow. So almost half a million dollars to, to, to a animal shelter, which does come into play because she did have a lot to do with that animal shelter. But she did. She it's, did. And that was the, it's, uh, that was the reason why... People felt it was such a big deal when it was believed that Andrew had killed the pigeons. Yeah, you know. Yeah, she uh, was. A, she was definitely an animal that, activist. That, that seems a pretty particularly brutal way to kill a pigeon. Right. Nobody said he was a yeah. a soft man. No, no, that's very true. So he, he was probably a very tough time. businessman. Yeah, in that time, you had to be a tough businessman. Oh yeah, there's not these days. I mean, back then you you got you got to where you are on your your, your skills, your wit, your luck, and your tenacity. You yeah. you didn't I mean, you didn't have a a courtroom to back you up all the time like you yeah, do now. Now you can be like, oh, I'm gonna sue you if you don't do this. Blah right. blah blah blah. Back then it was, I'm gonna fucking punch you in the fucking face. 
if you don't do this, if you don't listen to me, they fought over stuff. And supposedly he had made quite a few enemies over the years. I it it almost makes you wonder if if some of his uh, dealings were on the illegal side with the with the amount of money he had back then. Yeah, you know, and and I kind of thought about all that when Amy and I were going through all this, putting this together. That how much of his dealings were on the up and up, and I think she and I even had that conversation. Was he 100% legit in all of his dealings? Was there some some undersided stuff going on? And that played a role into um, his ultimate death? I don't know. I mean, this is, Fall River is, is, back then, was not a very big place. Now it's a major area in Massachusetts, and, right. it's, a, and, it's, and, if you, and it's a complete shithole. Um, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to our anybody in New England who's offended in Fall River, don't be. You should. You know where you live. I lived in now, Boston, so now, ben, I know. Um, I remember reading that it was uh, predominantly immigrants. Yes. yes, that had landed there. A lot of um, still the case. Yes. So Massachusetts has a ton of immigrants itself. So well, the true. primary, the primary, believe it or not, one of the, the primary immigrants to Massachusetts during that time, and even today at that time, was mainly Irish and Portuguese. A lot yeah. of Portuguese okay. in okay. the Rhode Island. Yeah, you, you had a lot of Islanders area. and stuff that uh, would settle in some of those too. Um, um, I mean, not if, at this point, not at no, I'm Caribbean. Well, I'm Are saying you Caribbean. Yeah, so, and I'm not saying at this point in time. I'm saying even before this, a lot of the people from the Caribbean settled in that in that part of the country. You, I mean, you you even think about it's not just Mass. It's it's all the surrounding, even like New York, Pennsylvania, all of that stuff around there there was a lot of Caribbean immigrants. I mean, as... Not, not, not in Fall River. I, I know well, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I, I said Massachusetts. Well, no, even not in Massachusetts. Not really. Not at that point. That was, mostly it was Portuguese, the Irish, the Italians were had a, pres- had a presence. Mostly yeah. with the Italians was mostly um, either, was either in Providence and Rhode Island or in Boston. Um, well, now, now with the Irish immigrants, wasn't the, the Potato Wars was after that was nineteen something, wasn't it? The what? The Potato Wars. I uh, yeah, that was Tell before. Tell me, you know about the Potato Wars? I know about the Potato Wars. Okay. Um, I think that was nineteen. I want to say twenty-four. Something around that point. It was much. It was later. So right now, at this point in, in Massachusetts, there is a lot of influx of, of you know Irish and everything. But crime is very; it is not like we think of it as like in mafia types. It okay. is mostly formed around like the O'Bannon gang, like you know Charlie O'Bannon and his boys, right. or right. stuff like okay. that. So, yeah. if Andrew Borden is getting into illegal stuff, there's no Irish mafia. There's no Westies. There's no La Cosa Nostra. 
or anything right. like that. It is lit if Andrew Borden is getting involved in legal stuff, there you would have to look up like who is the major crime figure in the Fall River area, which I sincerely doubt anybody nowadays is gonna find it. Like you said, you would unless you're gonna dig really deep into the Fall River Police Department's records. Yeah. Yeah. So Well and and good luck finding anything because if if their record keeping is good as as their investigation skills are eh, it probably sucks. Time, it, it probably it, sucks. It, it it fucking sucks. Um so. and just to settle what I said, Caribbean people did settle in Massachusetts during the 1800s. Um, especially during slavery and transatlantic slave trade. Uh, they were brought over. Maritime and trade connections brought them over in the 18th and 19th centuries. Economic opportunities, educational opportunities, so they did settle in Mass. Okay, interesting. And it should be noted... And other parts of New that England. That was also a source of contention between Lizzie and her dad. Lizzie was very um, anti-immigrant. Yeah. Um, some, some good Christian lady, huh? Well, right. And, and that all of this plays in to the investigation and in, into the trial. Um, she, she did not like immigrants, period. And yet... Her dad goes and hires the maid, who is an Italian immigrant. I thought she says here she was Irish. Irish immigrant. So now, now you, you now have an immigrant in the household, basically. So Liz, Lizzie was not happy about that. And then we'll find later when we start here in a second discussing the murders that when she sends the maid Abby I think it was to no what what's the maid's name Maggie Maggie when when Lizzie sends Maggie to go get the doctor she sends for the quote unquote family friend doctor who was several houses houses almost a block away he wasn't wasn't there at the time and yet directly across from their house as well as the next two houses were immigrant doctors and Lizzie would not allow Maggie to contact them because they were immigrant very interesting yeah yeah, so. All right, now that we went off on our tangent. Right, right. Okay, so Thursday, August 4th, 1892. Um, Morse arrives in the evening of August 3rd and sleeps in the guest room that night after breakfast the next morning, at which Andrew, Abby, Lizzie, Morse, and Sullivan were present. And keep this part in mind. Andrew and Morse went to the sitting room where they chatted for nearly an hour. Morse uh, left around 8.48 a.m. to buy a pair of oxen and visit his niece in Fall River, planning to return to the Borden home for lunch at noon. Andrew left for his morning walk sometime after 9. 
and it's the understanding that this was a daily occurrence for Andrew to do so. Now, although the cleaning of the guest room was one of Lizzie and Emma's regular chores, Abby took it upon herself to go upstairs sometime between 9 and 10.30 to make the bed. Um, according to the forensic investigation, Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack. She was first struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut her just above the ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor, creating contusions on her nose and forehead. Her killer then struck her multiple times, delivering 17 more direct hits to the back of her head, killing her. Probably safe to say that that first blow probably did kill her. And oh, yeah. not just knock her unconscious. And this is where we see a crime of passion. Um, Correct. Now, let's... Yeah. Let's... Me, as an investigator... Um, so, now, guys, we're going to start... Now that we're into the killing side, we're going to start to break down a few things from law enforcement perspective. Um, all of us have different experiences in law enforcement, but um, for me, if I were investigating this, if they had done the single blow to the head that sent her to the ground, that killed her. Guarantee it. Guarantee. That that killed her. Um, if it would have just been that, then I would have said, okay, this, this could have even been somebody that didn't know her. Um, where the blow to the back of the head 17 times, that is not only a crime of passion, but that is now again, it may, it, uh, when, when I say crime of passion, there, there's two different versions of a crime of passion. There is a crime of passion where it's not planned out and it just happens spur of the moment, but there's also crime of passion where it you're it's happening because it's personal um you just really hate this person. correct correct yeah, and that's you could still but you there is still with the second version there is still an element of planning you correct just, you just um, how you go about doing it is just like correct right. um so with this with the hitting in the back of the head 17 more times this is somebody who is angry who is frustrated this is somebody who wanted to make sure this person was dead wanted to make sure that they took out every bit of anger that they had towards this person now of course we know lizzie doesn't like abby however again i'm being the devil's advocate here safe to say because of everything that Andrew was doing with giving giving property and money away to Abby's family, Morse very well could have been angry about that as well. Right. And very well could have had a crime of passion. The only been. people that... So Andrew left. This... It, it's a well-known fact that he goes for his walks. Why? So, the, on this day, he just happens to... Uh, Morris just happens to need to go buy two oxen 
at this time and go visit his niece in Fall River. Right. Right before they... Right before Andrew leaves and these killings occur. Right. But he was supposed to come back, though, right? Well, and that's his story. His story was... Again, what we're hearing is from him. Right. It's either from him or Lizzie. at noon. Now, you got to you got to relation is yeah, yeah. that he said he was leaving waited for Andrew to leave he came back in um got the hatchet from the cellar snuck upstairs that um he and Abby had a confrontation over the business dealings and that words were exchanged prior to this killing, the more you know, prior to this point, and that John Moore took it, took this opportunity, knowing that Andrew was not going to be there, to go ahead and off Abby. I don't know. Just if I don't know, maybe I'm not trying to. The weapon of choice is what's really getting me at this point. This is a hatchet. Yes, he's a butcher, and I get well, he would he would do that. It's, but it's a hatchet-like instrument. So what they determined. Yeah. Was at, at the time of the autopsy, which we'll get into here, it was a hatchet type. It was. Instrument. It was non-conclusive of exactly what it was. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Just something with a long this, straight edge. Right, so I this just... is where the speculation is that John Moore could have done this because of the fact that he was a butcher and he always carried a butcher's cleaver with him, which would make a similar type of wound as a hatchet in those days. Yeah. And with the brutality of the blows was enough to basically create a six by six hole hole in, in her head so my thing this is how i'm thinking while i i don't doubt john morse had some personal grievance with them how and maybe abby was kind of abby may have been a source of contention for all of this but I, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like John Morris, if he's going to do this, his, if he's got this anger, it's more, it's more like, if it's, if it's the first crime of passion, John Morris, he goes to confront Abby and he's angry with her. Why does he have a clear, it's one thing he had, it's one thing he would carry in his possession like, did he carry, like, in his pocket? Or did he just, like, carry a briefcase around or where he traveled no, he had Witnesses and, and citizens in the town that that were familiar with John Moore um, had stated that he was known to carry it in, like, a top coat, inside pocket of his top coat. Like, it was in a sheath inside that. Okay. Correct. All right. I mean, Correct. so and if that... that he, he went that went with him everywhere that he went supposedly so and and one thing i want to note here is uh, 
the investigations back then were not as thorough, and we're definitely going to see that in part two. But Lizzie Borden was not a big person. No. She was, I believe, 5'3", 5'4". Yeah, I think 5'4", tops. She and Abby was only about an inch or two shorter than her. I will say, to especially because they're talking about this coming at a downward angle, right? To the, a blow to the head, to the side of the head at a downward angle. Yep. She is not tall enough to deliver that with force. Right. So you got to, Ben, picture your wife. Cause she's, she's a little, so picture her with somebody just about her size, maybe a little shorter trying to deliver a fatal blow in the first hit that would have gone all the way to the brainstem. She would have had to been way up here. And even that, unless you've got a, a baseball pitcher's arm, you're not going to be able to get that kind of momentum. It would take somebody my size hitting somebody her size to be able to get that kind of blow. And I believe John Morse was an average height, probably five ten, five eleven. Yeah. So he would have had enough no, force. Just, I, I, you know, without have to, I probably have to see that. And, and honestly, given what I've read and what we've seen about this, the investigation, everything to me is suspect. Everything. Well, and it and just, it, it, to me, oh, if John Moore, to, to me, a lot of this is just hearsay, secondhand information that people are coming up with and are remembering after the fact. So to me, if John Morris is the guy to confront Abby and kill kill her, could he have had if he had if he was actually carried a a cleaver or a hatchet? Could he have used it? Absolutely. If he's if he's got it. But to me, when you're that pissed off, if if this is what happened, you're gonna hit her, or you're gonna or or anything. You know, you're gonna be like, ah, I'm gonna kill you, kind of thing. That's just my personal opinion. I don't well, again. A lot of this just strikes me as really he carried around a cleaver. One, you, you saw it. Yeah, I used to see it all the time. Hmm. Well, and it's funny how where, we don't. It's the first we're hearing about this. Well, this is where the um, the rumors of the love twist come in into play. Some speculate that he was the one that struck the first blow. And it was Abby that, or Lizzie that delivered the uh, the remainder of the blows. That's that, a very distinct possibility. If the two if of that... them, <coughs> yeah, the two of them had conspired because of the business deals and things of that nature, and their, um, you know, um, secret uh, affection for each other that uh, he was doing it to protect her. This is, some game, this is some Game of Thrones BS right, right? here. Holy <laughs> shit. Right? Are we sure they're not the Lannisters? Is that like, are they are they distantly related to them? <laughs> they may be. They may be. So um, it's, just, it's just interesting. And and Caleb, you, you had mentioned about the the uh, brutality in, in the blows and, and this murder to Abby I found it interesting that 
all of the blows were to the head. Yeah. Yeah, so. So. Um, so, all right, we'll, we'll jump in here. Um, so, we have Ab- Abby's down. Um, Andrew returns back to the house at about 10.30. His key fails to open the door for whatever reason. So he knocks on the door. Um, Sullivan, who's Maggie, goes to unlock the door and finds it jammed. So she utters a curse. Now this is her account. What the significance of her uttering a curse, I, I, I don't know why she felt the need to throw that in there. Um, but then she late, she would later testify that she heard Lizzie laughing immediately after that but she didn't see Lizzie, but stated that the Lizzie, that the laughter was coming from the top of the stairs. Um, that alone was considered significant as Abby was already dead at this particular time. And Abby's body would have been visible to anyone on the home's second floor. So basically the summation is that Lizzie had to have done it because I heard her on the second floor and Abby was already dead and Lizzie would have known this because that's where the laughter came from is, is kind of what she's getting at. Now, Lizzie um, denies being upstairs and testified that her father had asked her where Abby was, to which she replied that a messenger had delivered Abby a summons to visit a sick friend. Now, that letter was never found. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And uh, at at some point, there is a, like an off remark made that, well, um, maybe she burned it. And it was recalled that Lizzie said, well, yeah, yeah, maybe that's what happened kind of thing. So regardless, that note was never found. So Sullivan then states that she removed Andrew's boots and helped him into his slippers before he laid down on the sofa for a nap. That statement is a contradiction to the crime scene photos, which show Andrew wearing his boots at the time he was murdered. Um, Then Sullivan testifies that she goes into her third floor room, resting from cleaning windows, which was just before 11 a.m. Now, the significance to that is, again, to get to her room... She would have had to pass the body. Exactly. So, and this is, this is the thing. Okay. So the first part with the boots, we can, yes, it's contradictory, but in times of trauma, I mean, it's, we all know that, that witness statements and witness eyewitness accounts are unreliable. People see things differently. They remember things differently, especially in times of trauma. Um, however... The second part, she would have had to, because they clearly said that you would have been able to see the body from the front door. 
So, mm-hmm. number one, why why did Andrew not see the body? Right. He was a tall man. He was a tall right. and bulky man. It's not like he couldn't see over over Sullivan. And when Sullivan went up to her room, how did she not see the body? And more importantly, how did she, how did they not see the blood? Because there's going to be a fuck ton amount of blood. And that blood will be running down that stairs. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a lot of things that are sketch in this whole uh, initial account. I think a lot of people were in on this. Uh, that's uh, kind of where Amy and I were going. With I this. think Sullivan may be in on this. What's the, so? But my question is, with that in in regards to that, what's Sullivan's motive to join in on money, this? More money. More money. Maybe, maybe he treated her like garbage. Maybe and the very well Abby pro, Abby may have treated her like garbage. We don't know because the only accounts would have been from her. I just find it interesting right. that if that is true, an Irish an Irish girl, an immigrant is teaming up with a woman that just doesn't like her because she's from Ireland. Well, she's well not lesser it's exactly lesser two uh, evils. That is, that is which true. which, I mean, which devil on my shoulder am I going to listen to? Right. The one that gets rid of the, because, I mean, for by all accounts, yes, Lizzie didn't like her, but she also didn't do anything with ill will towards her either. She just she was there. So the door was open to the bedroom that the the that Abby was killed in, and you said you said nobody. Yeah, Nobody you you it. would from the witness accounts you would have been able to see from the front door up the stairs where the body was laying, where the body was found. And, and then the Sullivan would have had to go up the stairs past the body up to the the third floor to get to their room. There wasn't two sets of stairs. There was only one set of stairs at the front of the house. And, and now here, here's an interesting point, too, that Amy just reminded me of. Lizzie was closer to Maggie than she was to Abby. Yeah. Yeah, you got to remember even, that... Even though she was an immigrant... She still she took still care of her. a closer relationship with her. Because she took care mm-hmm. of her. Right. You got you to gotta understand, like, obviously none of us grew up rich... So you got you have to understand the bonds that a lot of these kids yeah. make with their living maids that oh, these yeah, maids do everything right. for them even if she doesn't like her as an immigrant she probably took very good care of her and was a I, more of a mother figure to her than Abby was. Right. You know, right. I'm really starting to wonder if I, I really am starting to think of something some starting to look at Sullivan a little differently because I, as you said, so that means one of two things. Either Sullivan and Andrew Borden are just completely oblivious, and let me tell you, there are sometimes I miss some things that are just Yeah, you know, but not very, a dead body. No, that's very true. Well But or Sullivan lied how Andrew got into the hall. Maybe he went through another door and then laid down and then you well, know. Here's, an, here's another twist for you, Ben. 
it was also speculated that Lizzie and Sullivan were in a relationship. It was never proven. I think I heard that. It was never proven. And there was never any signs of affection between the two of them. But yeah. that rumor started to spread as well. This, I don't, I don't see, see it. A, this is what I, I was I, saying before. A lot of this stuff seems to be half coming up after the fact. After so the, I would be I would be very surprised if these rumors were going around I, before the murder. What here's here's what I think. I think this is all Lizzie's idea. Lizzie speaks to Sullivan, speaks to Morse, and says, hey, this is my feelings. Do you guys feel the same? Do you want to do this? She manipulates them and gets them to agree. Gives them, says, hey, if they die, if we get away with this, we have all of this money now. I will make sure everybody's taken care of. Um, so, Morse was a poor butcher. Yeah, money money could do a lot for him. He could own yeah, he could own a butchery. Um, and Maggie, she is a poor immigrant who is working for a wealthy family. Guess what? She, Lizzie could have promised her. Uh, immigration papers and like green card, all of that kind of stuff, whatever, whatever entailed of everything back then she could have promised to make, make sure she's paid for her citizenship and this and that. Cause she, at this time she would have been, she would have been on an immigrant status, but not, she's still not a full citizen of the United right. States. So I, I would be very interested to see, how Maggie Sullivan ended up after all this because the problem with with something like this the more people you involve in a conspiracy the more people talk the more people and I mean they must have um they this must have been like the most trustworthy oh, murder conspiracy because I mean think about it you've got at least two people there's two people Outside, not counting Lizzie Borden, there's two people who are you somehow been able to convince to go to either help in the murder or at least cover for him. So I mean, what is that old expression? Loose lips sink ships. Yep. I mean, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is this is a pretty pretty gutsy move on Lizzie. I don't if this is how it went down. It's a it, it's a very interesting element though with uh, the maid because like you said how'd you miss all this so right. unless the only re I can't even imagine that this would be um because I, I always th I would have thought that maybe they didn't like each other and Maggie would try to set up Lizzie to make it look so sound because like you said she tries to open the door she curses she hears Lizzie laughing and then people put two and two together hey wait a minute she would have been Abby would have been dead why is Lizzie in the room laughing mm -hmm. you know so but it does it does it's a very interesting plot hole 
um, okay, wait a minute. This ha- this isn't a big house. This isn't a mansion. Yeah, I know. So, it's a single family so, home. So yeah. how did you if if Angie if you and Andrew came through the front door, how'd you miss the the very obvious dead body? Um, unless the door was closed, like completely closed, no, and then they just it, it it was not. Was it found open? Was it yes. found open? Yes, found open. Yeah. yeah. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it was open when they entered the home, though. Lizzie could have literally just been sitting there, or Lizzie and John Morris could have just been in the room doors. Closed. But there was there was no evidence that the door was closed. Right, and you you still you would have taken into account for the shit ton of blood. Well, you would have. And keep in mind, they would have known if the door was closed because of blood splatter. Right. right. A, sh- a blow like that would have splattered blood on the inside of the door. Oh. To a certain, to a certain, there, the blood was on the outside of the room and would have, would have been dripping down the steps. Cause yeah. you, you I, figure I, I, I from, I from the edge of the steps, the from the edge the of the house. steps, probably from the edge of the steps to... The front of that door was probably maybe five feet. What I'm hearing is we need to take a road trip to Fall River and do yeah. a live podcast at the Lizzie Borden. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there, there, point, there's a whole museum and everything. At that point, we're taking some te- some measuring tape and photos because I would... I don't know. It and just seems like... As we continue on before we... Because we'll probably end it partway through the crime scene, the crimes. Um, I just want to remind everybody, Lizzie's not a little girl here. Lizzie's 32 no, no, years grown, old. Oh, yeah, she's a grown... She's, she's grown 32 years old throughout this. A lot of people think of Lizzie Borden as a child, but when she did all this, she's a grown-ass woman. Yeah, either right. a child or, like, a young a young woman yeah, or something. Yeah, she's 32. And, and not stupid. No, she's wow, a very she's, smart woman. She's very intelligent. Very. I mean, she's running. Bit. She's savvy. she's a treasurer for yeah. businesses. She's yeah. She's involved in a whole bunch of other organizations. This, you're yeah. right. No, this is not an unintelligent person. This and is she's just very persuasive. And it should be noted also that how I said earlier about all of them sitting down for breakfast, supposedly, when John Moore leaves. He avoids contact with Lizzie. Like he didn't know who Lizzie was, kind of thing. So just just completely ignoring her, like not even yeah, acknowledging so her. That, that led to further speculation that maybe Lizzie and John were in it together. That they had conversed about it. See, before, and and yeah, and John could be closed her could. off. As to not tip that hand. So well, to speak. I I don't know. So, and I think I think this is the misconstruing between where people believe that they had a relationship. I don't think that's what it was. I think it's the these three are are doing getting ready to do all this stuff. He's at this point maybe almost second guessing it or feeling guilty about what's about to happen. So he can't look at Lizzie 
because if he looks at Lizzie, he may not go through with it. Um, yeah, it's almost like a like a just a whole remorse thing. Um, but I think uh, what what we should do go ahead and tell us about how Andrew is found, and then we'll uh, do some closing remarks, and then next week we'll get into the investigation and dig deep into the trial as well. Okay, and I will, in, for that second part, I'll go ahead and find those crime scene photos. Cause yeah, we'll find them. Because they are out there. So, um, so we have Maggie upstairs. Um, just before 11 a.m., she hears Lizzie call from downstairs. Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. Andrew was found slumped on a couch in the downstairs sitting room, struck 10 or 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon. One, one of his eyes had been split cleanly in two, suggesting that he had been asleep when attacked. His still bleeding wounds suggested a very recent attack. Dr. Bowen, the family's physician, arrived from his home across the street. Now, when they say across the street, it was not across the street. It was down the way. Um, and he pronounced both victims dead. Uh, the detectives estimated that Andrew's death had occurred at approximately 11 a.m. Um, mm. So, and just so I don't forget about it, um, we'll close with, obviously we're going to get to Lizzie dying eventually, but I want to close with Lizzie Borden's last will. Okay. Um, so Lizzie Andrew Borden, her middle name was Andrew, by the way. Um, what is with this family and their females having male middle names? It's really weird. Lizzie Andrew Borden made her last will and testament in 1926, just before the great depression in 1929. She passed away on June 1st, 1927. She was worth over a quarter of a million dollars. She had a chauffeur, live-in maids, two cars, a nice home on the corner of French and Belmont streets, jewelry, many investments in utilities, and owned several office buildings in Fall River. Lizzie shared her wealth with those family and friends who stood by her in the years after the trial. One interesting note is that Lizzie's contribution to the Fall River Animal Rescue League for $30,000. Text below is transcribed from the official records found in the 2nd District Court in Fall River. I, Lizzie A. Borden, otherwise known as Lisbeth A. Borden of Fall River in the County of Bristol in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, do make this my last will and testament, and hereby revoking all other wills heretofore made by me. After the payment of my just debts and funeral charges, I give, devise, and bequeath as follows. 1. To the city of Fall River, the sum of $500, the income derived therefrom to be used for the perpetual care of my father's lot in Oak Grove Cemetery in said Fall River. So there, she's paying for his cemetery. Uh, 2. To my housekeeper... And to each one of the servants who shall have been with me for five years and shall be in my employ at the time of my death, the sum of $3,000 each. Wow. So for them, that's a lot of money right before the Great Depression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, three to Charles C. Cook of said Fall River in Tiverton for his long and faithful services to me the sum of $10,000 and my so-called Baker lot on French street across from where I live. Um, 
now, just to note. Uh, hold on. Um, Charles C. Cook was a business associate of Andrew Borden. Um, and remained loyal to Lizzie throughout everything. Um, to the Animal Rescue League of said Fall River, the sum of $30,000, also my shares of stock in the Stevens Manufacturing Company. I've been fond of animals and their need is great, and there are so few who care for them. Five, to Miss Helen Layton. Uh, hold on. Helen Layton. Uh... I believe... Probably family friend. Yeah, a close family friend. Uh, yeah, very close family friend. Um, to Miss Helen Layton, I give my three diamond rings and diamond and sapphire brooch. My inlaid mahogany desk and chairs in my library. Also, my library desk with the reading lamp. And I also direct that she shall have the first choice... And may take any and all of my rugs, book, ch books, china, pictures, and furniture that she may choose. I also give I also give and devise to her one half of my share in the A. J. Borden building in said Fall River. If she shall survive me, if not, I give and devise my interest therein to Grace H. Howe, to her and her heirs, executors, uh, executors, administrators, and assigns forever. Grace H. Howe is her cousin. Uh, to my cousin, Miss Grace H. Howe, my diamond and amethyst ring, and I direct that she shall have second choice of my rugs, books, china, pictures, and furniture, and the privilege, so far as I have the same, to use the Oak Grove Cemetery lot for burial purposes. I also give and devise her one half of my share in the A.J. Borden building and said Fall River to her, her heirs, executors, administrators, and assigns forever. To Margaret Streeter of Washington, District of Columbia, sum of $5,000 with my diamond and sapphire ring with five stones, which she always liked. Minnie A. Lacombe of Washington, D.C., $5,000. Howard Lacombe, son of Minnie, sum of $2,000. Catherine McFarland of Fall River, $5,000. Gertrude Baker of Fall River, $1,000. Mary Orders of Sharon, Massachusetts, sum of $5,000. Uh, if she dies, it goes to the husband. Winifred A. F. French of Fall River, $5,000. If not, it goes to her daughter, Alice Soderman, $2,000, and Jeweled Watch and Chain. Basically, just thousands upon thousands of dollars. A uh, couple schoolmates, $1,000. Housekeeper, Ellen B. Miller, who they called Nellie. Uh, all the contents of her room if she wants them. So nice. Um, <laughs> and cousins, left everything to cousins. The, even the daughter of her chauffeur got $2,000. The wife of the chauffeur got $2,000. Uh, the Her chauffeur got $2,000 and the Belmont lot, which is west of her home lot. Um, and then... So she... I have not given my sister, Emma L. Borden, anything as she had her share of father's estate and is supposed to have enough to make her comfortable. Interesting. Yes. Um, and basically, the rest of the property 
everything else was shared equally between Helen Layden and Grace H. Howe. Um, and then Chris Charles C. Cook uh, is the ex- was the executor of the will and all of that. Um, but where yeah, is, she she where, gave. Where is Matt? Where is Maggie? Where is John Morrison? All this nowhere. Mm, that's so, interesting. But yeah, so um, yeah, interesting, interesting topic. Uh, It'll be very interesting when we pick up next week going through the investigation and the fuck-ups. Yeah. The major, major fuck-ups. But, um, yeah. So, we want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, And please uh, remember to turn in your glasses push in your seat and as always tip the bard good night everybody good night good night